Player's Anatomy. I'm your host, Charlie DeClean. I'm a physical therapist at Bell & Health Titletown Sports Medicine Orthopedics, a stone throws away from iconic Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. On today's episode, we have an interview with Mike Sroka, pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, on the topic of youth throwing and his experience coming up, growing up in Canada, and then eventually into the majors. So stretch out, warm up, and get ready. This is Player's Anatomy. First up is news of the day. Uh, the biggest thing that really happened over the weekend, um, the, obviously there was a couple more injuries. We had two more ACL tears um, early in the week uh, for the Ravens, and then we had a uh, MCL sprain. The Jets tackle sprain their MCL. Um, I know we've touched on ACL a lot. So MCL is your medial collateral ligament. Think of it as a thick rubber band that's on the inside or the medial side of your knee, um, and it's really very, very common. Linemen getting kind of rolled up on. Um, so an MCL sprain is usually not surgical, but every case is different. And if they feel it needs to be stabilized and repaired, they will do that. Um, but it is uh, very, very, very difficult to play any multidirectional sport with that type of sprain. Uh, so we miss him nothing but the best. Uh, the most interesting one from over the weekend, though, really was Ryan Fitzpatrick, the quarterback for the Washington football team. Um, and he had what they're what they're calling as hip subluxation. So I know that can be kind of vague, but really what that means is uh, your hip is a ball and socket joint and it has a really, really thick capsule. Think of it, a bunch of rubber bands all the way around it, holding the ball in the socket. And more or less what happened when you watch him fall, he lands with his hip at like a 90 degree angle, knee gets driven to the ground, and then the defender falls on his, really on his waistline, right on the backside of his hip, and put all this pressure on the backside or the posterior side of the hip. So what subluxation means is the ball started to leave the socket and it came back in on its own. A dislocation would mean the ball left the socket and it stayed out and somebody needed to reduce it back into place. So in this case, the ball started to leave the socket, came back in. So really the tissues that are meant to block that, your bowl of your, I should say, the the socket of your hip joint is like a bowl. It's deep, like a cereal bowl. We have a lot of bony stability, so it is very uncommon for it to leave. The two most common, I know we've touched on this in the in the in past episodes, but Bo Jackson uh, did this, and then Tua, uh, formerly of Alabama, now uh, now of the Miami Dolphins, he did this when he was at Alabama as well. The largest risk is what's called avascular necrosis or AVN, and really that's a a blood supply being cut off to that joint. And really, we see the overall quality of the bone degenerate. And that was really what happened to Bo Jackson. That was what cut his his uh, career short. Tua did not have that. We, we hope, obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick does not deal with that. But that's definitely, there's a risk for that. And then the other major risk is just simply um, that there was a bone chip. You know, anytime a, a joint is uh, is challenged like that, there's always the risk that as the ball left, the ball or the, the rim of the socket could get chipped. So um, obviously, we, we hope he doesn't have to deal with that. And then that capsule or what's called your labrum that you possibly could tear that as well. So uh, we wish him nothing but the best. It looks like he's already on IR. So he'll be he'll be gone for a chunk of time, but we wish him nothing but the best in his recovery. 
For today's interview, we welcome Mike Soroka. So Mike is a pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. He grew up in Calgary in Canada. Uh, he was a 28th overall pick for the Atlanta Braves in 2015. He spent a few years in the minors uh, before making his debut in 2018. He was an MLB All-Star in 2019 and finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting. Uh, we had a great discussion here of throwing and pitching limitations in youth sports and what his experience was growing up uh, as a thrower in Canada. So, I hope you enjoy this interview. Here is Mike Soroka. All right, Mike, well, thanks for joining us. Give our listeners a little background. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, not too dissimilar from here in Wisconsin. Pretty uh, pretty cool most of the year. And uh, obviously, grew up playing hockey for, I mean, nine, ten years of my life. I thought that's where I was going to go. And, um, Kind of just fell in love with baseball, even though I got to try my hand at quite a few sports and, you know, a little couple of school sports and, uh, I don't know, baseball just kind of took over for me when I was about 15. Okay. So hockey, I know is king in Canada. So when did you start playing hockey? Um, I think my parents actually took me out skating, um, when I was like four or five and I, I didn't like it. Um, and it wasn't until I got to school in, I don't know, kindergarten or first grade when other kids were playing hockey. And, you know, that's when I said, all right, you know what, I want to do this. I want to do it again. So I went back out and I loved it. Uh, at that time, the Calgary Flames were making a really good run. They made it all the way to the, the finals that year. And really the reason they did was uh, their goaltender. And that's why I wanted to be a goaltender, uh, much to... Uh, my dad's dismay. He he didn't really want to see me play in net uh, for kind of a multitude of reasons. But um, one being that he didn't think I would like it, uh, and I did for you know two three years. But once I figured out that you know being a goaltender had much more to do than just making the big save um, and the cool and gear. playing every day in the cool, and the gear. cool gear. Let's not lie. <laughs> exactly. Um, I hated the skating around the crease for hours on end with no shots movement drills um i I just didn't like that um and i think i realized that probably a year or two before i quit because i i'd always wanted to play out again i'd always beg people to switch with me for a game and um you know it it just wasn't something that i loved as much and my dad knew uh so when i made the decision to kind of switch up and and go into an academy and and take on baseball for the majority of the year uh he wasn't surprised he sold my gear and uh, the rest is history crazy so growing up though what other sports did you play because i know like around here soccer hockey basketball those are all very very young almost everybody does everything at a young age what was it like for you back home yeah obviously from i mean probably september october through april was was hockey um we don't have at least in calgary we don't have school sports the same way that um you do down here in the u.s um you know football isn't a thing till high school um it's just not the same thing and same with basketball if you want to play basketball you're in a club usually um but everything that kind of related to junior high sports, once I got into that, played a year or two of basketball there, um, which was you know only for two, three months at a time. And then uh, actually quite a bit of badminton. And I had to, I had to switch that up because it, it kind of coincided with baseball season. And it was a matter of, all right, do I really want to play badminton at school all day and then go to baseball practice and basically do the same motion right. again? Um, so I had to pick uh, pick that one, and um, you know there was there was a ton that we played. Uh, my dad and I played quite a bit of tennis with my grandfather. Um, whenever we go visit them, um, 
you know, it was it was anything. I played soccer when I was younger, or two or three years. Uh, it was everything. He made sure to get me get me into that. Make sure I, I had a good taste of what I enjoyed, and uh, baseball just seemed to one to, to be the one that I fell towards. Okay, so you said late to baseball, though. In, according to I should say, according to the U.S. standards, fifteen would be really late to be picking up baseball. Besides, just playing with buddies. Oh no, no, definitely, definitely, I was playing baseball from eight through. Probably, probably when I was eight or nine years oh, okay. old. Yeah, I but only for a couple couple of years. Okay. And then eventually I took baseball full time when I was about 15. Okay. So then let's back up to when you're eight. Just another sport you're playing. Just enjoy it, right? Oh. And then what was it at 15? You know, I should reword it in a different way. When was it that you all of a sudden realized, like, I think I'm actually pretty good at this and there might be something in the future for me for baseball? Uh, that wasn't until after I quit all the other sports and, and had been playing baseball for about a year or two. Um, I never chose baseball because of my future. I never chose baseball, um, you know, for college, pro. There, there was any, not, never any of that until I really got into it. Um, I chose baseball because I enjoyed being there every day. Didn't matter what I was doing, taking ground balls, fly balls, hitting in the cage, pitching. Uh, I wanted to do it all. And, you know, I used to go, I used to go early to our indoor facility in Calgary on uh, every other Friday. My high school had, you know, a half day. And so me and a buddy used to go in and they let us literally set the facility up on our own and just hit into this big, uh, big tunnel. It was basically a soccer facility on the other side. And, um, yeah, we just had fun with it, you know, smoke each other ground balls and, and just, um, just play. Uh, and I got to do that with baseball because it was open for it in Calgary. You struggle for ice time. You could never really sure. get out in city till, till it's winter and it's been frozen for a while. And then they get the outdoor rinks. But, um, you know, even then it's not quite the same. Um, so it really, my dad knew, like I said, he, he knew every time he dropped me off at baseball practice that I was going to enjoy being there. Um, you know, I, I never turned down going to the cages whenever we asked, you know, to go hit. It was always definitely, you know, it's a no brainer. Whereas with hockey, it started to kind of become, you know, I have to go to these goalie sessions and, uh, I found a last couple of years of hockey, I'd show up at tryouts with only a week or two of tune-ups under my belt, whereas all the other kids had been, had been power skating and practicing all, all summer. You know, they've been conditioning camps, and I was just behind, or I just hadn't improved from the previous year. And, um, you know, at that age, you start to kind of fall behind, and being a competitor and being someone who's used to playing with the best, all of a sudden it's not as fun anymore because you're you're not on that same level and uh i just didn't have the love for it to get me to that uh but i did for baseball yeah we've talked about this on previous podcasts about uh sports specialization and one of the the risks we see is people just falling out of love with sports but at the same time i've, I've got two kids and you know they basketball is my favorite and they both don't love 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 it the way i did that's okay right it's hard for parents i'm sure your dad struggled with it seeing as he loves hockey it is it's tough but you know if you don't love it what are we doing right um so when did you so 15 start really really get into it when did you start um really really caring about like okay now i have to maybe start thinking about arm care i gotta start really taking this seriously maybe even nutrition strength conditioning when did that really start kicking in for you 
Yeah, right around the same time. Uh, I got really lucky with a, a baseball program in Calgary. Uh, Pro Baseball Force was run by Jim Lawson. Um, and, you know, he played pro ball. Um, he had Chris Reisman working with us as well, who would, uh, you know, seven, eight-year career in the big leagues. And uh, we got lucky with some pretty good coaches and, and another one, Jordy Alexander, another pro ball guy that, you know, kind of had – hammered into us even even prior to when i joined full time you know you got to do your your arm care even if it was just a basic basic uh, dumbbell patterns with lateral raises uh scaptions stuff like that it, it was in us when we were you know 12 13 and and so by the time it came to really needing to have that base uh, i'd already been doing it for two three years and um it wasn't anything new but um our first strength coach that we had there um, was Chris Osmond, and he only worked with us for a couple of off seasons. Uh, it wasn't too too much, you know. He'd come out, and he's actually the uh, head strength conditioning coach for the Philadelphia Flyers now, the hockey team. Um, and then the next couple of years, we were the football guy, uh, Anton Joseph. Um, that was when I kind of fell in love with the weight room was you know for lack of a better term being a meathead a little bit yeah uh that's when we got into nutrition and it was the eat everything diet basically is what it was um that's when i kind of got into following some of the strong men stuff like that guys are eating ten thousand calories a day and uh learning what i needed to do to be able to put the weight on to put the strength on and um you know over the next two three years i mean uh, i went into my Ninth grade year, I'll use ninth grade because our, our high school starts in 10th. Okay. Um, but ninth, I was like 5'6", 100 160 pounds. And then I actually lost weight when I grew eight inches that year. So I, I went into 10th grade. Eight at, inches in one year? Yeah, I grew. <laughs> I went into 10th grade at about 6'2", 140. Um, not much on me. And then graduated and got drafted at 215. So I went from 140 to 215 and, you know, two, three years. And, and a lot of that was going to happen regardless, just getting older. But, uh, I spent a lot of time eating some unnecessary calories, uh, pre post workouts. Sure. Um, you know, and some of the stuff I look back on and I probably didn't need to do. Um, but I was all in, I was all in on, on if that was going to make me better. And, and, you know, I wasn't going to stop at nothing to make sure that happened. Yeah, and I have to imagine too with your background playing hockey, you know, I see this with athletes that I'm that I'm treating that have injuries. You have to have so much strength to skate, like so much. Your legs have to be so strong, quads and and hips. Um, that had to be a huge help. That in essence, you had done a bunch of unknown to you. You'd already lifted a ton before mm-hmm. even hitting the weight room with your background with so much skating. Yeah, definitely that posterior chain. Um, you know, having been leaned over all the time and. Um, as a goalie, you spend a ton of time in that, you know, quarter squat, 90 degree position, up, down, up, down, up, down. And it really is that volume that you need when you're young to build a good base. And that's why it came really quick and it was really, really fun. That's why I fell in love with yeah. it. So because it pretty quick. Every, every two weeks you're throwing on more weight on your body and, and on the bar. Um, you know, it's actually, it's, it's kind of crazy. I remember watching some of the older kids deadlift like 225 pounds on the trap bar. And, um, I would have been ninth or 10th grade watching that and being like, Oh, he's strong. And then two years later, 
deadlifting 450 pounds and you're just like oh wow you know that, that's yeah. me now that's it's that went quick and um like i said I, I fell in love with that and i i did hit a point um you know three four years into my professional career where i had to back off sure uh, but I, that's a completely different topic yeah i think that's pretty normal too though you hit a point of do i need to get stronger now do i just need to maintain right i think yeah. a lot i think there's a lot of professional athletes that hit that point and that's a big turning point in staying healthy too right is Definitely. knowing when to like okay i have the power i need now i just need to maintain it um so besides the the arm care nutrition um was that something that was that just you looking around the room going this is what i need to do or is that instilled in you by someone else like that was that your choice to go all in on nutrition and strength or did somebody else really push that um i wouldn't say if there's one person i mean if there was my dad was just a really good example for me uh he never pushed me to do anything that i didn't want to do um but he was very good i think even when i was younger about making it known that if you want to be a big guy you got to eat big big food you know you gotta eat a lot um so for a long time it was about catching up to him uh he's still bigger than i am um i don't know if i'll ever quite be the same size uh, my mom was pretty pretty short so um we'll see but um you know it was just we got lucky with people who had been there before and, and people who valued that throughout their careers i know chris Ritzma did and same with Jordy Alexander they they spent a lot of time in the weight room and um although like we said a minute ago you can get into problems eventually down the road uh building that base and and absolutely kind of launching me forward because although baseball as a skill was still fairly new to me when you when you compare against a bunch of the kids in Texas and Florida a lot of the kids from the south that have been playing for for a long time Although my skill was maybe behind, having those three or four off seasons before I graduated high school to get stronger, I showed up in pro ball like a lot of the college kids did. You know, when they showed up and they were 22, there uh, I was, I was 18, and I had just as many hours in the weight room as they did. Yep. Uh, and I was ready for it at a certain point too. I think that's important to be said is that if I had gotten to the weight room a year or two previously and I wasn't ready to put on those, those strength gains, I don't think it would have been fun. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't, it would have been, it would have wore me down. And to be honest with you, if I did it the year before that, when I was growing, I would, I would have, I would have hurt. Yeah. You know, I, I was, I was sore all the time. I felt like the worst athlete in the world. Um, you know, I couldn't run a pole without my knees or my back just wanting to call it quits. So, um, I got there at the right time and got to got to see results in a, in a good way yeah it is uh we see this a lot with our athletes too of you know they'll ask us what's the difference between high school and college and in any sport my answer is the weight room so i, I completely agree with you we're trying to catch kids early and earlier just of enjoying the weight room of just it's a great life skill in general you know versus my dad's a phi ed teacher but i always say you know playing handball or learning how to lift properly what's gonna be more important long term and he agrees well yeah teaching kids how to weight lift and work out properly is, is probably a more important skill. So I'm, I'm glad you got that at a young age. Um, I know we were talking a little bit offline before this, you know, we're really, um, we have, we've dealt, developed a thrower's assessment. We do some motion capture with it, some different things. I'm just curious, just from your upbringing, when's the first time you saw yourself pitch on film? Um, probably pretty early. Um, my dad 
uh, definitely got it from his dad and my grandpa filmed everything. Um, so probably pretty early. Um, and again, really lucky that when I joined, I was kind of just a, a blank page, a clean slate and did a, a pitching camp with Chris Reitzma. He had no idea who I was at the time. And I didn't really know him other than he was the baseball player from Calgary. Um, we did one in a, in a high school gym. Um, and there was a few different things that he made sure to get in on us, you know, stronger front side, staying on your backside, down the, down the mound, stuff like that, that I was able to practice really young to where those mainstays in, in a mechanical, um, analysis were, were the same throughout. Uh, so I go back and I actually, I've seen video of me pitching when I was like 10, 11, 12, and it's really not that much different from now. Obviously there's some positions I get into now that I wouldn't have back then just from the strength and, and, um, skill developing, but, uh, you know, it was definitely something that I learned and learned to, to have fun at and have command with because really throwing hard wasn't a thing until, I mean, honestly, we went to the Calrican World Series with a, with kind of an all-star team from Calgary and uh, it wasn't a thing until I saw all the Japanese Mexican kids throwing mid-70s and then it was like, oh, wow, you know, they throw a lot harder than I do. Um so it was never chasing that. It was always chasing outs. Uh, I know it's something we'll get into about throwing breaking balls and stuff like that. But um, I think I got to enjoy the art of pitching before it became so yeah. rigid and, and, you know, velo based. But even the feedback loop, right? Like this is the piece of, of why we do it. You know, we're not, don't get me wrong, seeing stuff in video and slowing it down. It looks really cool. But if it doesn't mean anything to you, it's it's useless, right? Uh, that's why it's interesting to me. We're, we're trying to get kids pushed into, not that it's ever too late, but the younger we can get them on film, showing them how they move, doing what they do, especially now with phones, even people's cell phones are, are, are a good enough camera to at least see what's in general happening. Um, but just getting good training and knowing what you're looking for and then willing to make those corrections because habits are hard to break. Definitely. So the fact that that's interesting to me that you say it looks relatively the same, seeing as you caught habits, you formed good habits, and you just kept repeating them and then put more skill and strength on top of it. Definitely. And I think it's kind of a tight, tight rope. You got to walk. Um, it's very fine when you think about what actually makes a big league pitcher as far as mechanical analysis goes because there needs to be a certain amount of deception, and deception is uniqueness. Um, so I'd say a lot of kids need to be careful with overdoing mechanical analysis too early to where it's cookie cutter and they don't throw like, like their body wants them to throw. Uh, I think that's one thing that, again, I grew up with an ability just to go out there and throw. Uh, I had a couple things that I wanted to make sure I got, but allowed to be an athlete with it and find out how my body creates power. Uh, still to this day, I don't get deep in my legs to do a lot of things with power. Um, you know, let's hit a golf ball. Um, you know, I swing it at a real good club head speed, but it doesn't look like I'm getting into my legs. And I've been told that from golf pros, it's just, I'm, I'm more upright in the way that I, I deliver it. And that's the way I, I pitch. Um, uh, most of my deception comes from the fact that it looks, it looks like I'm not about to throw the ball and then it comes out of a, a seven foot slot. 
and they just don't see it yet. And there's so many times, I mean, we watched Max Scherzer pitch last night, carry the perfect game into the eighth. Um, I don't think people quite realize that one of the reasons he's so successful is how deceptive he is and how nobody else throws like him. And so if, if kids go out there and, and, you know, they watch that, they watch DeGrom throw, Scherzer throw, Verlander throw, three great pitchers of the last, you know, five, 10 years, they all throw completely differently. They do a couple things properly and really, really well to make sure that they're in good positions, but there's so many ways that they do it that create a different look for the hitter at the plate. And, um, you know, I think that's something you got to have growing up just to be able to, to throw. Yeah. It's, it can't be, can't, it has to be some natural to it, right? Exactly. It has to be some of that. Uh, so switching gears a little bit, this was really um, one of the main reasons I want to talk to you is just this whole movement, at least in the States, and I'm sure it's carried up to Canada as well, of this idea of just trying to avoid all these elbow and overuse fatigue injuries with throwers. Um, and I know the biggest driver has been uh, Dr. James Andrews, uh, down south in the States at least, of really, really pushing for, we got to have some guidelines. So um, it sounds like the, the biggest one, I, I talked with our throwing team here, USA Baseball, uh, and then Smart Pitch, or I'm sorry, Pitch Smart um, with uh, with the MLB, of trying to come up with guidelines. And, and for the most part, you and I were talking about this a little, uh, offline, but pitch counts, inning uh, counts, season total counts, and then even year-long limits. And then in that, some guidelines with, hey, you should play other sports. Hey, you know, you know, if you're if you're tired, you need to speak up. Try not to plan two teams at the same time. You know, there was a, there was a couple other recommendations. Uh, don't then turn and go play catcher, which is really what I what you and I had brought up. You know, obviously we have the idea of pitch counts, but this idea of is it really just pitching or is it throwing in general? Uh, what position do these kids go and play after they're done pitching? So, what what was your experience with this growing up? I know you said roughly eight, but then even as you got into high school, what were pitch counts a thing in your area? Were any of these limitations a thing for you? Um, yes, only because. You know, they were there inadvertently um, because Jim Lawson, our, our program, encouraged us to go play other sports. You know, he was very encouraging of, of hockey during the off season when we were in the academy. It was, you know, if you're playing on a hockey team and you have a hockey game versus baseball practice, go play hockey. You know, go do it. And, you know, we, we used to make trips in March and in, our, in October either down to Vegas or, or Arizona to play some teams. And we usually get our brains beat in. Um, but I think the whole thing for me, I mean, I probably threw it at baseball two to three months out of the year until I was probably 12. And then once All-Stars got into All-Stars and it, it became a little longer and it was probably five months. Um, but, I mean, it, it was just time off for time time to grow time for your elbow to, to be a normal person elbow and learn how to create power in, in other sports because I think that's something that the people lose when they say okay play other sports play other sports but I, I think parents listening say well he's got to learn how to create power on the mound say well if you can run fast you can skate fast you can jump high I promise you're going to be able to learn how to create power on the mound it's it's all it's all related you know you got hip torque and yes you kind of need to play a rotational sport if you want to do it later golf you know pitching 
taking slap shots, whatever it is, you need to learn how to use your shoulders and your hips together. But so much of it that we see now are the best athletes create the most power. It's it's straight it's straight up. Uh, Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, they have the most power per body weight guaranteed, and they're the best athletes on the field. Um, I guarantee you, Tatis could have played whatever sport he wanted. Same with Ronald, um, if that's the sport they fell into, and and you know they just they're athletes. Period. They could they could still do it. Um, I I think. Growing up and being able to do that and learn different facets, um, different ways to do that, um, help to where you step into baseball full time and you learn every single day. You're learning that skill and you're learning it quick because now you have the phys- physical literacy from the other sports to know what that feels like when something clicks. And then you do it again and again and again. Uh, Larry Walker said it in his uh, Hall of Fame speech. Um, he was pretty much a blank slate when he got into pro ball and he was drafted and, um, didn't know all the rules of the game. (laughs) And I mean, people said, people remember watching him learn every single day and get better. And and it's just more often than not, that's what scouts, that's what player development people just want to see is that you get better. You know, they don't want to draft a finished product. Um, same with colleges. They, they want to, they want to see a kid step in his freshman year, maybe fighting for a spot in the rotation, having to throw in the bullpen or throwing in midweek games, but step in his sophomore year, bigger, better, stronger. Junior year, he's the ace of the staff, and then they send him off to pro ball. Um, that's what that's what everybody wants to see, and um, I think there's no better way to do that than make sure you're not specialized too early. So uh, everything applies. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I do think that's something that gets lost of um, that – Power is power. Like it doesn't really matter. And different sports will develop different pieces of those bits of power. Um, I want to go back to kind of your, your background of when you got into lifting um, real quick. And then just how you saw that change, how you were able to throw. So regardless of the type of pitch, but even just without even trying to throw harder, how quickly did you see as you put on true muscle mass how quickly did you see the radar number change just from putting power on your legs i i don't actually have firm numbers of beforehand but i would assume when i was about 14 so you're turned 14 to 15 um i would assume i was throwing probably in the mid 70s um maybe up towards 80 um and i was probably pretty consistent throughout the entire entire summer season um, then that off season was the first year that I was in baseball full time and we had an academy, we had a strength coach, we were lifting, I think four times a week, two, two lowers and two uppers. Um, strength came quick, size came quick, probably put on about 20, 25 pounds that year or that off season alone. And I was throwing in the cages. We had indoor, indoor cages back then getting ready for our March trip down to Florida um, and throwing next to one of the older kids. And uh, I don't know, it felt, it felt good. But I remember my dad and I think a coach after telling me, no, you were throwing way harder than him. And I was like, didn't feel any different than the sure. year before. Didn't feel like I was doing anything different. I hadn't learned anything new as far as, you know, loading in my hips sure. and uh, everything just was power. just coming better. And uh, I would think I started that season 
low to mid eighties already. And, uh, I think my last tournament of the year was, I hit 88. So basically in a full calendar year, 10 plus miles an hour right. in a hurry. Um, and there's without question that I probably threw more than I should have that summer. Um, only because I was good and I was playing up. I was playing on the younger and the older team at, at first and then just the older team. And that's kind of when I was like, all right, you're a pitcher. You're not going to play third first anymore. So at least that summer I was pitching. I might have been pitching quite a bit, but I wasn't playing third. You know, I wasn't I wasn't going out and accumulating uh, throws throughout the weekend. Um, so that was the year that I made my provincial team that summer. Um, and then Team Canada by the end of the year. Um, that's when it really, really took off. And uh, I got to see professional baseball at the end of that year. Uh, we played against a bunch of the uh, Instructs teams, and I got to see how far away I really was from <coughs> professional baseball, physically, just everything. I wasn't even close. And that gave me perspective and something to work for that next offseason. And um, I'd say from there it was – fairly slow and that's when we probably got into a little more with mechanics um you know but it was after that 88 to 90 the next spring so it was a a mile an hour or two in the off season uh and then by the following year my draft year i think i probably hit a, a 94 or 95 but really went back down to sitting probably around 90 91 uh and then kept gaining in in professional baseball so um it really, really came easy and quickly. Um, and even in, I'd say my my first year of big league camp, so 2018, coming into that season was the strongest I'd ever been, most likely. Um, and then out came 96s, 97s. Uh, and again, didn't feel that much different than, you know, the 94. The throwing. Didn't feel like you were... no. And, uh, you know, that was the year that I had to switch things up because I got a little locked down in some unwanted places, but, um, nevertheless creating power, like we talked about came without effort. It was just size. Like I I said earlier, when you put on basically 65, 70 pounds over the course of three years, it's just, it's already going to happen quicker and, um, just got better at the skill as well. And that's what I, you know, we, we just kind of keep pushing kids to understand that, you know, that it doesn't have to be only skill building, skill building, skill building seven days a week. Just just lift, get stronger. And the younger you start, it doesn't have to be starting young heavy. Just start learning the craft of lifting weights, right? And just start kind of falling in love with it and learn how to do it properly and safely so that when you, like you said, when your body's ready, you really can you really can benefit definitely that was great if one thing i could actually add to that too is that if you get into um you know with hockey was a lot of conditioning um a lot of conditioning camps blanks push-ups a lot of body weight stuff um but i lifted a little bit with my dad growing up because uh, he, he didn't do too much when he was finishing playing hockey but in university i mean they, they learn how to squat deadlift all that kind of stuff um and I think he, again, he did a good job of introducing me to it and saying, this is how you do it. This is how you do it properly. Right. So you do it safely. Um, but also telling me, it's like, you know, I, I love the burn. That's what I know. It, it's starting to work. And that's when you, you go pump chasing basically. And, <laughs> um, 
that's 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 when it gets fun is when yeah. you can get out there and you know all right today's leg day i got 22 sets of legs let's let's go and that's when i really started seeing seeing progress and i got back into my uh, my car I remember getting back into my car when I was like 16 and I had I had a manual and I could barely push the clutch in because my <laughs> my quad was shaking um that's fun that's fun when you know you've worked that yeah. and, and you, you've done it in a safe progress. manner right of just pushing it and, and pushing it in a safe manner um I know we talked a little bit about this offline too of kind of the one of the guidelines that has gotten thrown into the most the the latest uh update to the, the pitch smart is really the no off speed pitches so really, hey, just throw fastball and change up. And I know you have a, and I, I've heard both sides of the argument. So where do you fall on this? Um, I, th- I say mine's a little different only because personally, I always threw breaking balls. Um, for some reason, I had a decent understanding of it. I don't know if it was working with pitching coaches that have been there early. Um, always being around the breaking ball as opposed to snapping with the wrist. Uh, that was a big one. Um, I would honestly encourage actually a lot of kids to get a blitz ball um, and end up learning how to spin it with a wiffle ball, basically, to learn how you actually have to make the ball rotate for it to spin properly. Uh, and watch guys that throw it. I'm going to watch Charlie Morton. His curveball spins perfectly. So with the way he gets around it, um, and for some reason that's the way I always did, we now know that velocity chasing and throwing fastball for fastball for fastball when everyone is max intent is without a doubt the hardest thing on an elbow it's like not even close because uh, typically you're not throwing your curveball as hard as you can but a slider you are you know kids learn how to throw sliders early they learn that the harder you throw it the better because the more it looks like a fastball and you're snapping your wrist and to me that's that's where you get into trouble um, but I do think off-speed gets a bad name because learning your craft and learning the fuel for it early is important because I, I, I see guys all the time. They get to pro ball. They've had a secondary pitch. They don't have a third. And it's just a, it's an uphill struggle to feel what they want to feel when they're releasing the baseball with an off-speed. So, um, you know, say watch out for anything, any, any sort of extremes. You know, we saw the kid – Remember in Little League, that one kid that would just throw nothing but curveballs. It's definitely not a great idea. But to me, I think when we say just throw fastballs, I think it kind of, again, kind of keyholes that into kids that are just going to be trying to light up the radar every single throw. And that's not productive right. either. That's that's troubling as well. And I would agree with you. And I think this goes into anything of just know your body, listen to your body, and then parents and coaches know your kids. If if you're watching them do it, first of all, if you don't know what you're doing, then you probably shouldn't be teaching somebody how to do it. But if you are getting good instruction like you have, I know we partner locally with a group ISA. Jason Birkin and his team are fantastic. They have a, a bunch of people that play. Jason himself pitched at, at the pro level of if it can be done in a safe manner, no different than lifting. There's a huge argument of when's too early to lift. And what a lot of the research says is, well, if you're doing it right, yeah. then it is safe, right? Proper instruction, proper technique, proper form. Um, and I agree with you of just know your body, listen to your body. I think the underlying way and reason they went with the guidelines was arm fatigue and pain, right? Fatigue and pain. And Definitely. if you're ignoring those, I don't care what you're doing, it's a problem. Yeah, without, without a doubt. To me, the, the biggest contributors to 
arm fatigue and pain or overuse. And it's pretty widely shown, and I, I see it all the time in training rooms, all the way up you see guys that threw and their arms have changed you know their their throwing arm is literally different than their other one either they can't extend their elbow all the way or they have a crazy amount of external rotation with no internal rotation in their shoulders you know hypermobility versus being tight down you see it all and it's because they learned how to do that when they were kids and they their their shoulders literally changed themselves or the path of least resistance to be able to do what they wanted it to do. Um, it's pretty well shown as well. I mean, they see with the Japanese kids, you can teach arm speed before you have strength. So if you're going to chase hand speed and do it with weighted ball programs before you have the strength base to actually hold it, um, you know, you're going to be pushing end range in areas that you're not strong in. Um, you're, you're literally just asking for injuries at that point. Uh, but without a doubt, throwing year round when you're young and playing on multiple teams like you said and um, multiple positions which is hard because a lot of times your hardest throwers are your best athletes okay, they know how to create the power right so it's it's kind of hard when your best pitcher is also your best center fielder or your best shortstop so again you you kind of have to say all right you know what this weekend i'm only going to play shortstop next weekend i'll pitch on thursday and sunday you know it's tough, but if that's if you want health, it's a decision you're gonna have to make. Yep, and I and I think too, coaches need to hear it as well. Of I, again, especially the young, like the nine to twelve range, even or maybe even the twelve to fifteen. Of I really don't care what game it is. There's no game that is so important that it's worth risking a kid's health. Absolutely if, not. But kids also have to be willing to be honest and be in a safe environment where they know they can be honest without any consequences of my arm is tired or my elbow hurts and that you have to be willing as a coach or as a parent to step in and be like, my kid's out. Yeah. Like my kid, my kid needs a break. And I know that's tough for you, but that's what it needs to be. Um, especially when it's the best player on the team, that is tough. That is not easy. And I'm, I'm guessing that was you for at multiple levels. It's not easy. Yeah. Not, honestly, not so much positionally. Um, you know, definitely having a good arm, going to third base, uh, being able to just get in front of the ball, pick it up and throw it across the diamond was uh, pretty important. I didn't enjoy the outfield, so that was easy. Um, you know, I did enjoy catching, though, and I, again, it's probably something I didn't do a lot of because our coaches knew that you're not going to go behind the plate and rip it down to second base to show your arm off every inning after you've already thrown. Right. Um, like I said, I, I definitely made a couple mistakes um probably it was my sophomore sophomore year so the year it all came on you know closing games on friday saturday and starting sunday sunday game um definitely not the best idea and we learned you know it's something we all talked about and um, my dad makes sure to understand it's like you're doing too much now especially now that you're throwing harder than you ever have uh you're in new ranges um again i got really lucky with him understanding how how it all works if he doesn't speak up do you think you do that again your junior year um no because i i ended up on the junior national team at the end of that year anyways and with those guidelines everything was built around those trips um making sure that you were good good to go and um again one thing we mentioned earlier was proper build-up does a lot more than people realize and it's why like you miss time 
because of a an oblique issue as a pitcher. Your oblique might only take two, three weeks to heal, but if you haven't been able to throw those two, two, three weeks, you're going to need a six-week buildup for your arm because you can't go out there and hammer it every pitch and throw every single day um, right after you haven't done it for two weeks. It doesn't work like that. Um, so I'd say that's something a lot of kids are missing as well when they get into that is because, like I said, I told you earlier, you, you don't have the option anymore to throw, you know, just pick it up a week before your team makes a travel ball trip, having not thrown in two months, pick it up, throw a couple times and go, and then go throw 100 pitches on the weekend. It just that doesn't work like that. Uh, so having a proper build up of just saying, all right, this week we're going to go throw three or four times a week. Next week, four. Week after five, six, and so on until you know you're probably throwing five, six days out of the week, um, and you build your pitch count up slowly. Uh, that's how you get used to it. And then you know five, six month season, call it take two months off go play something else completely don't even go to baseball practice don't pick up a bat don't pick up a ball um you know if you have to play dodgeball in gym fine um you know there's nothing (laughs) nothing that's not a dodgeball (laughs) exactly and there's nothing that'll teach hand speed like trying to just absolutely (laughs) crush your buddy you know um so that that's important as well but uh there's so many different ways that i think a lot of people don't quite understand how you know Max Scherzer goes out and throws 115 pitches every single day. It's because he's literally taught his body to do that over the last 15 plus years of his career. A lot of work and preparation to get to that point. Tons. Way more than most people know. Yeah. Um, Anything that you would, I I know you're, you're so crazy young, you're only 24 here. So, I mean, insanely still young, but anything that you, if you could go back to your 13, 14, 15 year old self, anything you would do drastically different? I mean, I know you touched a little bit on, I definitely know that 14 year old or that 10th grade, maybe not thrown as much, but is there really, I think you did, a, I mean, my personal opinion, just even to set the stage, the lifting piece to me, I would say is not normal in a good way. Like how well you're introduced to weightlifting, how much you got into it. To me, that's a big piece of of why you've been able with your with your shoulder and elbow specifically. I know you mentioned you really had one one time where it's affected and, and had to delay play. Besides that, really hasn't been a huge issue for you. I don't think that's a coincidence with especially with how hard you were able to throw it at such a young age. But and then again, biased, but I think the ability that it wasn't really in my mind you weren't being filmed by somebody to see what ways can we help you perform better we're i mean the reason we're looking at people on film throwing is is there anything they're doing that's adding a whole bunch of stress to the elbow and the mm-hmm. and the shoulder are they losing opportunity from their legs to take some stress versus the shoulder and the elbow but is there anything you look back that you would change um i don't know about change um you know, it wouldn't have been that early. Definitely, definitely not that early. I would have done it the exact same way. Um, if I could change anything, it would have been, you know, that year or two prior to creeping up, learning that I can't just be a meathead in the weight room anymore. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, again, I, I'd say, if anything, maybe do some more sprints. You know, because that's somewhat the one thing we see a ton of. Uh, the best sprinters throw the hardest. You know, I've heard we've heard crazy stories about Araldis Chapman being probably one of the fastest players in Major League Baseball, um, but also you know the hardest thrower over the last decade. I mean, he's he's sustained 100 plus miles an hour for 
10 years. It's, that's unbelievable. Uh, there's lots of guys that can do it short periods of time, but, um, he's a freak in many, many ways, uh, physically and, and athletically, but, um, you know, he's also a great athlete and I think it's a, it's a model. Not a lot of, not a lot of people get to see, um, is how good of athletes a lot of the best pitchers are, even though it's a very skill specific thing. So, uh, I would have maybe spent a little more time playing basketball, jumping, stuff like that. But as far as when I got into lifting and got into it, I wouldn't have done it any, any differently. Uh, I set a really good base and set something that I'm going to love to do for hopefully a long, long time and be able to enjoy it in, in whatever capacity I can. Yeah. I think, you know, we have uh, baseball's actually, it's a huge thing in the Midwest. Um, and I, and I do think it, this isn't baseball. This is quite frankly, all youth sports have slowly gone this route where the ability to do it year round is there now and pretty much anything minus really football, if I'm being honest, which seems to take the the brunt of being the most unsafe sport yet no one really does it year round right mm-hmm. you can lift year round but you're not really playing tackle football year round at, at a youth level um, but every other sport it's easy to do it year round and i think the biggest thing i've learned from just from our conversation is is skill building is important and you got to be working with people that know what they're doing so you can do it properly but be a well-rounded athlete Take breaks from everything you do, large breaks. I, mean, I think there's going to be people that'll be shocked to hear that even when you are at starting to hit your, at a young age, realizing there's probably a future in this, or at least the people around you, you are still not pitching for four months of the year. Like that's, that's a huge chunk of time. I think that'll be very shocking for people to hear that, not that you weren't training, mm-hmm. but you weren't throwing. Exactly. You weren't being active, you just weren't throwing. Um, I think that'll be a huge thing. And just the falling in love with the weight room, you can call it meathead at the same time. Like getting strong is applicable to everything. And it's a life skill, right? Yeah. Maybe not lifting as hard as maybe <laughs> as you were at a young age, but it's still, if you're doing it safely, what the research tells us is if you're doing it safely, it is safe. If you're doing yep. it right, it is safe. Um, anything else uh, message you would say if you had a, a group of, whether it be coaches or even youth players in front of you, anything else that you would give them your two cents? No, I'd say be you. Love what you do. Um, you know, don't let uh, don't let anybody keyhole you into into a position at a young age either. Uh, I still to this day I love to hit. Um, you know, I, I know and I can laugh about it and know I'm not good to the level I would have been. You know, I'm not a big league hitter, definitely, um, but I still say I, I can hit. Um, I will always love to swing the bat. Uh, and I always did. Um, maybe I did it a little differently than some people. And, um, you know, it's just something that I didn't want to hear anybody tell me that I wasn't good enough athlete to play this position or, you know, I didn't have the hands to play shortstop. You know, I'd, I'd end up going take ground balls for hours on end for fun, work on whatever, backhands, short picks, uh, everything. And, and um, because I'd have fun with it. Uh, allow yourself time to do it on your own figure it out playing wall ball i don't care you know um have fun with it and uh everything everything will kind of fall into place for you in in whatever way you want to take that well appreciate it man really appreciate your time um I know uh, we only have you for a short period of time, but I always appreciate uh, hearing what you have on this. I know this was something that it's, um, this has been a big deal for a long time and every sport has a conversation like this going on. I think, I do think baseball is a little bit more out in front of certain things and other sports of trying to create some guidelines of how much is too much and what can we do to keep people healthy. So I uh, really appreciate you giving you your story and appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mike Soroka. Um, I included a link to the Pitch Smart that we referred to. Um, that link takes you to a website. I believe they also have a um, an app that uh, not only coaches, but also players and parents could use as well to help track things. Uh, well worth your time. Go read on that. If you have a son or daughter that is a thrower, well worth your time to go read that to really, really know the guidelines versus just knowing, hey, there's a pitch count. Um, I really enjoyed my conversation with him. I, you know, we had talked quite a bit offline before starting. And I know he said, you know, I I have a different feeling on the off-speed pitches. And I thought he did a really nice job of explaining it, that there is a lot of research that talks about, yes, throwing them incorrectly can have its dangers, but so can throwing fastball every single time. So just a really interesting discussion. And I, I hope my takeaway was, you know, again, I was very shocked by the amount of time he took off throwing. I thought that was really impressive. You know, I always love hearing stories of people that are doing it at the highest level and did it in a way that we know is is safer because um, that's not easy. You know, people want to play every day year round and they think that's what it's going to take to get to the big leagues and it's it's not always the case. So it's always nice to hear those stories. Um, and also just that, you know, he was, he played other sports, still enjoys playing other sports, um, but also just his love for weightlifting. And I really think that's something that kids are usually too late to. Um, I know we talked about it, but, you know, as far as starting too early, but at the same time, it's never too early to learn how to do something correctly doesn't mean you have to start throwing around weight. Well, we're nearing the end of episode today's episode of Players Anatomy. I want to thank you again for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe. Tell a friend. We continue to try to grow our listening. Uh, to keep up with everything Bellin Health Title Town happenings, check out our website at uh, bellin.org slash titletown or any social media platforms and just search at Bellin Health Title Town. And finally, we have Charlie's Cut. You know, the the really the main takeaway, especially after talking with uh, with with Mike today, is really I, I just want to rant a little bit about um, sports specialization because you know when you look at the definition of sports specialization. To take four months off uh, of throwing for someone that who already was on Team Canada, that had, could not have been easy for Mike, but shows you it can be done and that other sports can really help you generate power, generate athleticism that will then translate back to your sport that you're trying to excel in. I also think it's it's great that he really didn't specialize until 15 or 16 years old. And I really think, again, what the research shows is the later you wait to do these things, the lower your risk is for injury for for a thrower, specifically for that elbow and shoulder injuries. Um, but also just the importance of being a well-rounded athlete, I think, is the other piece of it. So, you know, if you have a kid, if you're a parent listening and you've got a kid that you're a little worried that maybe you've had it, you know, for one, check in. Are you still having fun? Do you still love this? But also really check in and make sure that they feel they're in a safe space with their coach, that they can tell them, I need a break. Um, and that, you know, he's willing to tell, he or she is willing to tell you as a parent that as well, um, that you need a break. But also have a discussion with your coach of, you know, what are we thinking for rest periods? You know, I think the, the best coaches are the ones that can already feel that for a team and decide to call practice off for a week or make a, a week of practice a little bit easier, but also the ones that when it truly is the off season, truly let it be the off season. Um, and that's, that's one of the biggest things that I think is the hardest, you know, I call it dovetailing or doing two sports at the same time that poses a lot of risk. Um, and it can be done. Don't get me wrong, but it just, it poses risk. Uh, so please, again, if we're not having fun, what are we doing it for? Um, and I think that was my other major takeaway with Mike was, you know, he wasn't 
specializing in baseball because he knew, oh my God, I have a true career pathway from this right from the get-go. It was because he loved it. Um, and that's, that's the best reason to be doing sports. Well, thank you again for listening. I'm Charlie DeClean, and we'll see you next time on Players Anatomy. 